Hi, I'm Linnea Quigley, and you're listening to Geeks of the Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which, under no circumstances, should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily a. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Features, a horror discussion from geeksoftheindustry.com. And now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to a very special episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. I'm your host, my name is Chunky Larry, and this is the series that I do every February uh, devoted to women in horror because February, as you know, is Women in Horror Month. I, being the son of a single mother, have nothing but respect for women, and I love the idea of representing women in horror. I will say, though, um, horror is a female genre in my opinion. Uh, that is now kind of being recognized by a lot of people that consume the films, uh, but it's always to me been a female-driven industry, and I get the the sincere pleasure of being able to speak with somebody who's driving the industry in really positive ways. Uh, she's a very outspoken and you know, opinionated, opinionated always sounds like bitchy. So let's, let's scratch that. Uh, she's a very outspoken and creative voice within the horror genre. Uh, she's a director, she's a writer, she's a producer, she's an actress. And most importantly, at least to me, she is a screen queen. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure and honor to be able to say, Miss Jessica Cameron, how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. That was quite the intro. I'm flattered. I, I always try to please before I disappoint. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a married trait. Teenated is definitely valid, especially when it comes to me. I, uh, you know, I, I've I've followed your career for a little while, and um, it's it's interesting because around the time that I was starting up uh, Geeks of the Industry, uh, you were putting out Truth or Dare, and um, I had had uh, Devony and you both 
like uh, I followed you guys because you know I see an independent filmmaker that's a woman uh, that's interesting and especially a horror independent filmmaker uh, I, I, it automatically grabbed my attention and uh, I got uh, kind of one of those things that uh, it's like that standardized message that you get on Twitter when you follow somebody where they're like, oh, thanks for the follow. By the way, check this out. So that was kind of how I uh, kind of came to know you. Oh, thank you. See, I, I send those out. I do know like some, about one in, I don't know, five or 6,000 people will get offended. They'll be like, how dare you send me a standardized message? And I was like, you obviously don't understand the industry. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, also the fact, if you take the time to like get offended about a tweet or like a Facebook post, you know what I mean? And it's never like you have to, it's always just like, hey, if you're joining me on social media, you probably want to know something about me or I interest you in some way, go here for all the stuff. Yeah, and it, it's, it makes sense. And you know, and it uh, does. You know, I, I have a thing where on on my page when somebody writes me just so I don't look like an asshole, it automatically will respond with a standardized response, and it's not to be like hey fuck you. It's because they they make it so you if you don't it, like they'll put you on blast. They'll put you on Shame Street, where it's like typically replies in a day or two. It's like fuck you, dude. I, I'm busy, <laughs> you know. So right? I, I completely well, I mean, get it. Facebook's a trick because uh, all of like my message on my fan page and even honestly mostly with Twitter as well are just like you know guys being like you're hot you know let's da 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 and uh, I can only imagine that that's the case I'm sorry they keep cutting you off oh that's okay it's just you know obviously I'm not gonna you know silly silly people I'm not gonna bother responding to that that would make no sense mhm and you know I I that's definitely one of the things that I wanted to talk about uh, specifically because this is Women Horror Month, it it feels like, unfortunately, it's a a byproduct of, you know, the industry and you know these these archaic ideals as to what a woman within an industry should be represented as. And and I've always felt, and this is going to sound weird, like um, I, I did a. Uh, last month I did a series of reviews based on massacre films and one of the films that or two of the films I did were uh, Sorority House Massacre and Slumber Party Massacre and while those films are chock full of nudity uh, it's it's done in a very kind of clinical way where it's almost as if they're expected to get these things out you know into the film so they just got it out of the way really fast um and those films were both directed by women and you you don't you don't when you look at something like slumber party massacre you don't think that's directed by a feminist but it is It, it was written by a feminist and you know they they have to placate these tropes that were existent in the genre at that time uh, to tell the story that they're trying to tell. Slumber Party Massacre is about a woman coming into womanhood. That's what the movie's about, and the fears of losing her virginity and penetration of the the drill. That's you know, it's a phallic symbol, and at the end they cut the phallic symbol. You know, and there's there's almost this mindset that you know you can't operate within this genre and not you know fall into these categories uh, i i could say after watching truth or dare that's not the case 
<laughs> because uh, and, and I'm gonna this isn't me kissing your ass because you're on the show but I have not been that disturbed by a horror film in a very long time <laughs> like oh, a very long time and I knew you would take that as a badge of honor because you get you get it and, and you can tell that you get it with your work um, but all of that starts in Canada and then Ohio. So could you please, uh, I know you were born in Canada, but uh, you going to school in Canada led you to Ohio, which led you to yeah. Right, it did, yeah. So I originally went to school for fashion design and merchandising. And I was really, really lucky and immediately got offered uh, a job essentially uh, right out of school like after my, I got my degree in fashion design and merchandising with a major company that I will not mention uh, <laughs> specifically on here mm-hmm. uh, I they moved me to Ohio where their home office was where I worked there uh, and they I was able to do the job really well and all the stuff associated with it but they took an issue with my speech specifically they felt that I spoke too fast so that being said uh, they they wanted me to fix the problem. So this is like your first quarter review, which is every three months. So I was really, really new. Uh, and I was like, okay, what do I do? And my immediate boss, we thought it was stupid, but it came from her boss's boss. was like, you know what? Just find a class and we'll, we'll figure it out. But I couldn't find a speech class. Fun fact, they don't really exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Like you can find how to write a speech, but you can't find like how to properly pace yourself. If only speech. Jeffrey Rush was around. <laughs> right? King's uh, exactly right. <laughs> no worries. Uh, but yeah, so so effectively, that was, you know, what I tried to find is a speech class, couldn't find it. And then my boss came up with the idea where she was like, you know what, just take an acting class and then talk slowly around the stupid people and we'll just go from there. Uh, and that's what I did. And it was honestly the best uh, one of those things that's like really inconvenient and feels like it's a really bad time thing, but then it's just amazing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that meant for me that I just had to work a full-time job and then I'd go to acting class and I found this creative outlet. Because fashion design in the industry is not really, um, what's it called? Uh, it's not really something that is creative it should be in theory but it's not you're basically a design monkey Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah Uh, you're you're following the trends and there's a standardized approach so there's no room for creative flair not even that it's more just like all the levels like the it would take you 20 years to get to a place where you had any creative say Mm -hmm. right so it's all like these higher up people that are telling you what to do and you're just implementing whatever they say if that makes sense uh, so for me, it was something that was just really, really boring. So the acting classes that I was being forced to take were so much more challenging, so much more creative, so much more expressive. So I found myself looking forward to doing these classes more and more and more. But also keep in mind, I'm Canadian, uh, so I have a visa, I had requirements. It wasn't like I could just be like, I'm going to quit my job. Also, I would never be that irresponsible. I'm a big fan of paying your bills. Um so I wanted to make sure that I could do that. So it was a couple of years before I was like, oh, wow, this is what I feel like I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I feel makes me the happiest. And then let me plan what I needed. So I sat down. I was like, OK, I want to have this amount of savings. I want to have um, 
what's it called? I wanted to have a full resume with like feature films. I wanted to have a real, a website, an active social media presence, um, etc. So that was really just what I, how I did it. And then as soon as I could, you know, I found all of those things and worked my ass off to get them and then left the fashion industry to pursue filmmaking. And then I gave it one year in Ohio where I was like, if I can, um, you know, if I can pay my bills and sustain a life in Ohio, then I'll move to LA. And was the acting scene kind of, is there a big scene for that in Ohio? Because, you know, you, know, you always think California and New York. Yeah, no. So here's the reality. There are small group scenes everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. You can't find a place that doesn't have it. Ohio actually has like a really strong, I call it hobbyist community. So they have a really active industrial commercial community. And from that, a lot of those professionals to do crew and directing and all those positions then do hobbyist movies or shows or whatever web series on the evening and weekend mm. you can actually get really cool projects and work not necessarily I think earn a full time living or at least not that it's a bit of a challenging that doesn't require a lot of travel so there's definitely work there there's work everywhere you go in all honesty uh, because again you've got these pockets of, of filmmakers it's just about trying to find the stuff that speaks to you and again make enough consistent work to to actually you know pay the bills mm -hmm. and uh do you feel that your experience with the college with the courses that you were taking kind of better helped you position yourself in that kind of atmosphere to stand out amongst the rest of the people uh you know you have kind of much more of an idea of brand i'd assume with working in the fashion industry and you know having that professional aspect where a lot of people at least in my opinion when they go into acting it's like you know i had the i had the acting bug since i was a kid and all i need to know is how to memorize my lines but there's there's a plethora of things that go into being an actor you know aside from being a good actor would you say that that's fair um, I think that it's fair to say that there's so much more that goes into it. Uh, my fashion design degree didn't really help me much because it was always something I was naturally drawn to, marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. I grew up, uh, you know, a hard worker with two parents who worked constantly and I worked in their factory. So I learned marketing and branding from the earliest childhood memories I have. Uh, so that aspect of my education came always really naturally to me. So even if I didn't have that education, I still would have been, I, I'm still naturally drawn to that, right? Because it's how it was raised. Certainly, I think that if you were not raised in that environment or something that doesn't come naturally to you, then yes, you should absolutely seek out classes on marketing and branding um, in the same manner that you seek out, you know, uh, acting classes and that kind of training. It's a different kind of training that's relevant to your career. So I think it's smart for everyone to find out all the information they can on it and make sure that it's stuff that they're comfortable with and can excel with. And when you go out for roles, specifically now, um, do people look at you more for horror or is there a, a dip, like a kind of a mixed bag when you go in, you don't necessarily know what you're going for, but just kind of by convenience, you tend to end up more so in the horror genre than other genres. 
Um, well, I think the reality of the matter is just I, I think I and many other people that just want to work do more in genre simply because it's the genre that doesn't need a, you know, an A-lister to be involved and make money. So I think that they just tend to be more common, period. But that being said, I do all the normal casting stuff in L.A. that most people do. You submit to cast and actors access and L.A. casting. Um, and in those, I certainly have a, a name in horror. So, you know, if I submit to a genre thing, the director or producer is more likely to be like, oh, my God, we love you. You know, do you want the role kind of thing? And sometimes I don't even have to audition versus non-genre where I don't have a name there. Right. These people are not familiar with me, which, again, it's totally fine. I completely understand either way. Uh, it's just about doing the hustle at the end of the day. And how how long were you kind of kicking around in the business before you decided that you know you wanted to create your own picture and write it direct it produce it like would you say that that's almost right away was that always an end goal or was it something that you worked on enough sets that you were like i can fucking do this uh neither i did not want to do it in any capacity it's not as much fun it's not as entertaining um it's a lot more effort it's a lot more work uh so never never ever 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 um it was about six years after i started acting about three years after i was doing it full time and i had this idea and i wrote a script with a friend of mine um and then from there we had just this you know this good script and i went out to six directors i wanted to direct I found the budget, uh, and then of the six directors, three wanted to tone down the script I co-wrote, and then three wanted to shift the dates, which didn't really work for my schedule. Um, so it came up by the investor and one of the actresses involved that, well, you should just direct it yourself. And I felt it was the only way that I would get the movie made, how I wanted to see it made, uh, and that's what happened. But it was never something I did before that. I did actively, about, again, around the same time, the reason why I wrote the script was because I received like four offers for films from different parts of the country, one from out of the country. And they were all kind of the same sort of, you know, four or five good looking 20 something, get lost in the woods and meet a cannibal family. And it was shocked to me how lacking originality so many people are in the industry. And I was like, I don't want to do the same things over and over again. And I'm a big believer of being the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. That was why I wrote it. But again, even when I wrote it and when I came up with the concept to be like, this is a movie I'd like to watch, I didn't write it under the pretense of thinking I would direct it. Um, But then after having directed it, I was like, okay, this does work really within my schedule. It gives me something else that I can do that doesn't interfere with my acting, which is really important when you're looking at like jobs and things like that to pay your bills. You know, because as an actor, you have to be free to go on auditions and stuff. And filmmaking is something I can largely do around my schedule when I have time. Uh, so it worked out really well there. And I also really liked having full control over the marketing, the distribution. You know, the reality of the matter is I was a part of so many films that A, would never get finished, or B, never do any marketing or promotion, never do any film festivals, and then C, would get no release or a really, really bad release. Mm-hmm. And let me be, again, let me be the change. You know, it cannot be that hard. Let me, let me, let me see what I can do. And when you talk about 
the change and this lack of creativity, it, it automatically makes me think of things like remakes. What is your stance on remakes? Because I know you did the Silent Night remake. I know that you're friends with Todd Nunes, who is, uh, I call him my best friend. I don't think he likes it, but uh, <laughs> that's that's his name from, from me. And uh, I know he's doing a remake right now. Is, is that something that you're particularly fond of, or do you think that if the ends kind of justify the means, if the story could be told in a better way with the advent of technology, uh, that it could be necessary. I personally have always kind of felt like uh, it's more of a marketing ploy because it's cheaper to market something that people already recognize, which is why they're still making Saw films. And, you know, so I, that's kind of my personal stance, but what? how do you feel about uh remakes personally um in all honesty it really depends i personally am not offended by them as long as they're done with a purpose outside of uh solely just tapping into an easy way to make money right so for me i think technology and life just changing how it how it inevitably does Mm -hmm. has made it so that there are movies that could be given a different twist or tale or um, any of those angles that would make it a completely different film and worthy of redoing it that wouldn't be offensive to the original. You know, the reality of the matter is, uh, you know, in the 80s and 70s and 60s, we were greatly hampered by technology, and many of the issues that we had back then were no longer hampered by now. And while I'm not a fan of using CGI in place of practical effects, I do think there's a lot of things that can be done by CGI now that we couldn't do then, uh, not in lieu of practical effects, but just like things that, you know, can't be done. Right. can also enhance rather than oh, you know, of course. be used as a crutch because uh, I, I think of the thing, it's not a remake it's a, a prequel uh, you know, it's supposed to be the, the Swiss who, you know, they discover in, in the uh, John Carpenter film, which itself is a remake and uh, that's that thought is lost on a lot of people where they're just like, oh I'm so sick of these 80s films being remade, but that was a remake um but originally, when that film was being made, they they used uh, special makeup effects as well as CG, and the CG was only really used to enhance the special makeup effects. Uh, that's personally kind of where I stand on on that stuff, uh, just because I think you know there's a room for uh, computer effects, but there's not a, as much tangibility with a computer-generated image as opposed to something that is living, well, not per se living, but moving and operating within the frame already. Correct, but I think there's a whole other world of things that cannot be done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's safety reasons that you can't do some things, it's just not safe, uh, that CGI can help with. And so again, like there's so many things where like, uh, you know, I did a monster movie, and the monster just again to make the size that we needed practically it just was too cumbersome to move the creepy way that we wanted it mm-hmm. so again it wasn't the fact that we had a really great team it's just you know even the best stunt actor can sometimes struggle if he's wearing like a giant apparatus to move in a very organic creepy way it just came across as weird and awkward and Darren Bowsman who did the Saw movie took the same issue with Jersey Devil mm-hmm. you know they actually made a practical suit and he was just like in, in actual filming it just didn't work right it just you know and again it's they had more money than i'll probably ever have to make a movie 
Uh, and again, the reality of the matter is it's just, it's not always a good fit, uh, practically. So again, it just depends. But that being said, I do think there's, the technology is in such a place today that, again, you can do a remake justice. And I also think, again, where we are in 2018, uh, you can do things certainly very differently than where it was then, or like that sensibility, especially the films that were 60s and 70s, which are so representative of the genre. You could take the story and really make it in- appropriate for today's audiences rather than you know years ago and I, I think of films like um, like the final girls you know where they're take because there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's going on right now where it's kind of uh, lingering on to the sensibilities of the 80s but trying to do it in a modern uh, interpretation where you can you can kind of mirror those two things up against each other and you know you you see kind of these antiquated ideas you know as opposed to this woke generation um, where you know things that would get a pass in the 80s don't necessarily get a pass now uh, talking about truth or dare uh, you know kind of in comparison to those things uh, that film, to me, is the antithesis of that because there is none of that, you know, over reliance or uh, need to harken back on a, you know, bygone era. It, it feels very current and relevant, specifically with the uh, the mindset of these YouTube celebrities. You think of the the situation that just happened uh, with Logan Paul where he's, you know, dabbing in front of a guy hanging himself. The, the the levels that people have to go to kind of try to generate that fame is is very much a, a modern problem that, you know, you add this horror element to, and it just, it's super effective. Um, was that, I mean, what was the, what was the motivation for Truth or Dare? Was it just you watched a lot of YouTube and you were like, I want to see these fucking kids die? You know what, uh, it wasn't. It was actually like whenever I was a child and friends would want to play Truth or Dare, I was like, always like, damn it, what if they dare me to stab myself in the leg with a pencil? And then of course I'd have to do it. Um, <laughs> so again, in hindsight, you don't actually have to, uh, actually have to do the dare when you're a child, just so you know. Um, with that being said, it was always in the back of my mind, and it actually never happened. So for, thank goodness for that, right? Yeah. Um, but that said, it was always like, well, what if, what if, what if? And then from there, I was like, you know what? There's so many, you know, so many other films with the title. It's been done so many times, but people were just sort of like using it, not really playing the game. And then, you know what I mean? They were taking so many liberties. And I was like, no, like, I just want something that literally reminded me of, again, like all the, the horrible things you could do with an actual real dare. And then I felt that, you know, we were living in this time, day and age where again, like the, the people are letting fame go to their head and they're acting out and what's, you know, normal for one person is not normal to the next. Uh, and that's kind of just how it, it started. Derek was actually modeled after an actor fellow that I know who uh, is just crazy. You know, and I was like, he would do this. Like, this is all very believable as far as like just him as a person. So. And that bottle scene, dude, is just, oh my god. It's, it's so uncomfortable. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I love, I love how 
fucking vile that moment is. And it, it feels very real for being just surreal. Uh, so yeah, uh, real, real winner of the movie. Um, but going forward, and you know, I know you did Mania, and um, you've you've got a couple of uh, directing credits, uh, lot uh, shorts. You've got the screen Queen Stream. Um, is there something that you haven't done per se that you want to do? Something that you haven't said that you want to say? And um, you know, what what are your overall thoughts about the future of horror cinema, specifically for women? You know what? There's so many things that I want to do uh, in my life, so fingers crossed I'll hopefully get to do them. I have a, a million ideas, and it's literally no exaggeration. So right now I focus on what I can do with the budget and people that I have access to, uh, but hopefully in the not-so-far-away future that's going to grow and expand. Because uh, again, I have ideas that are far and exceeding what I have access to, and it would be really great to play with those. So. Um, we'll see if that ever happens. I'm also a fan of having control over my narrative. So as a director, as an actor, I, I don't have control over the finished product as a director. So far right now I do. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'll ever want to give that up, you know, to get like money or something else. I'll just have to play it by ear. Uh, I don't, knowing myself, I think it's unlikely. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. So yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. I think as far as women in film, I think we are seeing uh, more and more women come out for the right reasons and not over vanity. And when I say come out, I mean like just make their projects and work in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we went through an unfortunate short phase there, uh, and which is still a little bit happening where there's women that were trying to make it them against the men, which I don't think is uh, fair. Uh, I think, again, if you're sexist towards women, you're a shitty person. If you're sexist towards men, you're a shitty person. Mm-hmm. You know, Again, the whole point, I think, that people often forget about being a feminist is not about excluding men in any way, shape, or form. It's simply about supporting women. You know, it's the theory of political, economic, and social equality of the sexes. And I think that's the technical definition, and equality is the key term in that regard. So it really bothers me when I see that you know, being missed. I, I completely agree. I think that, you know, where I support, you know, a lot of the things that have been happening within the the industry is specifically, you know, the times of the Me Too and the representation of women in in awards. There there's this kind of teetering thing that's done where to compensate they overcompensate. So it's you know it it should be equal and inclusive but inclusive doesn't mean just one side and to say well you know it's been this side for so long it should just be just this side isn't necessarily doing anyone any favors because it's only going to cause resentment and if you come in with uh, the mindset of equality people are a little bit more inclined to digest that and and that i think is kind of you know why it's important to really have a a mindset as to what it is that you want you know what is it that you want when you're going out do you want to be judged by your merits or by your you know ethnicity or your you know sexual orientation you know or one of the many other kind of random factors uh it's you know it's much more than just 
you know, I'm I'm a man, so I deserve this, or I'm black, so I deserve this. It, it shouldn't be, you deserve it. I'm the best for this job, and I deserve it. And that's, to me, you know, where we need to get is that the most qualified person for the position is the one that gets it. And, you know, it's going to be a slow process to me, um, but, you know, it has to be done the right way. Would you say that that's fair? It, it, that it doesn't necessarily... The other thing is, like, women... Well, and again, not everyone. I'm certainly saying I think that we are coming down to where, like, you see the women and those of us in the industry that just work our ass off and mm-hmm. that don't expect to be given something because we're a woman. And don't get me wrong, we are... The women that say, you know, it's not fair that we have been given fewer opportunities and jobs because we're a woman, absolutely. But it's equally not fair to expect to be given a job just because you're a woman. You know, we, at the end of the day, have to be as good, as strong, as powerful, as professional as our male counterparts. Um, and the best person for the job should get it, regardless of sex. That's the whole point of equality. Um, so I do think we're finally seeing like those tides turn a little bit, where again, like those of us who have just been, again, rather than sitting there whining and posting publicly about how unfair it is, we should get this because we, you know, we're born with a vagina. Uh, I think finally we're seeing the tide sort of turn and honor those of us who've just been working our asses off like our male counterparts. Um, so I think it's a really, really exciting time so far. That's perfect. Uh, That's actually kind of a perfect place for us to kind of step away. Um, I would love for you to come back on the show at some point if you're interested. Uh, This has been a pleasure. I I really want to kind of pick your brain about the horror industry because uh, you you again uh, and I don't say opinionated in a negative connotation you have some of the most pure opinions of what this genre could be and I absolutely admire you for that and um, I really have enjoyed being able to talk to you but where can people find you and what do you got coming up Oh, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, Red Eye, which is a film that I have a small role in. My dear friend Heather Dorf has a larger role. She's spectacular in it, I'm sure. Uh, it's directed by Tristan Clay, uh, and it's a movie called Red Eye. Uh, it's a great film. It's going to be coming out next week on VOD. So definitely check uh, back and see uh, you know, where you can watch it. It's going to be pretty much, I think, everywhere in a week. So Red Eye for sure is like the first one that's going to be the easiest to find. We're going to be announcing Mania shortly with their distribution deal for that. So stay tuned. We have, I have Lilith, an ending, as well as Kill the in post. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I do a weekly show with my best friend, Screen Screen Screen. Uh, and then that's every week. If you want to be a part of that, you can join us on our Patreon. Uh, we have, I have rather, uh, an Inside Mandy Life, which is just random shit I put up on the internet, uh, which is a regular thing on YouTube. I'm in Prep for Besties. Uh, and again, all of those projects have their own pages, but you can also just follow me on social media. I'm actress Jessica Cameron on Instagram, actress Jessica Cameron on Facebook, and also I am, what am I on Twitter? Jessica Cameron underscore. Yes. And again, if you get me, let's just go to jessicacameron.com and you'll be able to find all that information really easily. Thank you so much, Jessica. This has been an absolute pleasure. If you guys are here just for Jessica, which I do not blame you, but you've enjoyed the conversation, 
If you want to find out more about us, you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash CreaturePod, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at CreaturePod. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. I know you're a very busy person. If you listen to the things that she's got coming up, you know that she's constantly working. She's earning her place in this industry, and she does literally some of the best stuff that I've seen, uh, even when it's just, you know, dying in the shower at the beginning of All Through the House, it's, you you know you're seeing Jessica Cameron when she's on screen, and, you know, she's so inherently Jessica Cameron that it is, you know, it's it's like, I, I, I always liken you to, uh, you know, Linnea Quigley or Debbie Rashawn, and, you know, th- those are the... Those are the people that I see you as kind of, you know, carrying that mantle. And it's really, really important to me, specifically doing this Women in Horror Month, that I was able to speak to you because you do it all. And I admire the shit out of you. This was a f- fucking blast to have you on. And I really do want you to come back. So uh, thank you very much, Jessica. Uh, but that's going to do it for us, you guys. <laughs> so for Jessica Cameron and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Listen, someone you trust.